Go ahead and do me a favor and track down a Bible. You can find them in the baskets down by your feet and get with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And the Bibles we have here, that's on page 787. 787. We're beginning a new series. It's a little bit of a a daunting one. It's um, called How to Deal, Anxiety, uh, Depression, and Suffering. So over this week and the next couple, we're going to... um, be dealing with these with these different topics. So I'm going to go ahead and read uh, Matthew. If anybody needs a Bible, let me know. I'll get you one because we didn't put them out. <laughs> oh, thank you, Tim. All right. Um, so so uh, Matthew chapter six. I'm going to go ahead and read. We'll put it up on the screen, so you, so you don't have to worry too much about not being able to track with me. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then I'll pray, and we will get after it. So this is Matthew chapter six starting in verse 25. It reads like this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that you would minister to our hearts. We pray, God, that you would speak in such a way that we're changed. And we ask, God, that you would help us to to be real and honest with our emotions and with the things that we struggle with and with our concerns and our anxieties and our worry, Lord. And I pray that you would help us this morning to embrace this incredible vision you've given us here. Help us to be people who are gospel confident because we know we have a king who is good and we're seeking his kingdom. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. So back in uh, the summer of last year, we went out to California to film the uh, small group curriculum. And so it was David Clark, our lead pastor, and Eric Henry, the Janesville campus pastor, and myself. And we uh, flew out on a Sunday afternoon. So we wrapped up church, uh, hustled out of town, and got on a plane. And once we got there, we fly into Southern California, and we're going to go into the studio the following day to film. So we, we, we have dinner together, then we go to the hotel. And I'm just thinking, man, it's been a long week, and I'm, I'm tired. So I, we, get, we get posted up, and I go to uh, you know, get all comfy and cozy and, and fall asleep. And I'm laying there. And, and, and I begin to just entertain all these different thoughts in my mind, all these different concerns that I have. And it's not just stuff with the, with the film shoot. It's not just creating this small group curriculum. It's really the cumulative effect of launching this campus. At that point, we were about 18 months old as a church, and there just felt like some very big and daunting realities in front of us. And I'm thinking through, you know, the, the things that needed to change, the things that I was unclear on as far as decision-making rights and how, how things kind of play out and what's the long, 
long-range game plan here and all these different things. So I've got all this stuff going on in me. And then on top of that, we're filming this, we're investing a bunch of money to film this curriculum that we want to use for our entire church family. And I'm thinking, I, I wasn't able to do the work that I wanted to do on this thing because I had the busyness of ordinary ministry stuff. And so I put some work into it. I think I told you guys my computer crashed. I had to redo all my stuff. And, and so we get out there and I'm just like, I'm just thinking about it. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I, I just need a good night's rest. And so I'm laying there and I'm praying, okay, God, help me to fall asleep. And that way I'll have some, you know, some energy tomorrow and we'll be able to film all day. And, and uh, so I'm laying there and, and uh, I'm not able to sleep. And so 12 o'clock rolls around and I'm just staring at the ceiling and then I see one o'clock roll around and here's what begins to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm laying there in that moment, you know how you, you can feel like you're about to just zonk out, that you're so tired and you're like, okay, this is it, game over, I'm falling asleep right here. And I get to that moment and there's a tightness in my chest and I, I just gasp and I'm, I'm, there's this you know, pressure on my chest and I just... I'm awake again, and I'm like, oh, great. Now i got to go through this process again. So 1 o'clock rolls around, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and finally I'm like, good grief. I'm just getting up, and I'm just going to go down to the hotel lobby, and Eric is, you know, he's sleeping in the bed right over there, and he's snoring away. He's having no trouble. I'm like, you jerk. And, I, you know, I try to quietly exit the hotel room and go down and, and just hang out in the lobby for a little bit and pray, and I'm just praying, God, you know, help me to sleep. Like, I, I need to be able to, you know, be well-rested and be able to engage in this thing. And, and so then we film all day and I just feel like a zombie. I'm just kind of cruising through this experience. Like I'm so smoked and we get done filming all day and we do a couple things in the evening. We go back to the hotel. We've got a whole nother day of work the following day. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm so tired. I'm going to sleep like a baby. And what happens? The same exact thing. Up all night, except for a couple hours in the, in the morning, up all night, just having that experience and praying the whole time. And I'm even like kind of quietly, you know, crying and praying, God, please, I just, I, I need to be able to sleep. You know, you, you know what this is, you know how important this is, and you know how I feel right now, and, and you know all of this. And so I bring this story up to, to suggest to you that, that I'm not communicating as like this foreigner. I'm not kind of speaking into this thing going, yeah, I don't really understand anxiety. I wish people who faced it would just kind of get their act together and, you know, do these certain things. I think it's very easy to, as a preacher, to kind of just gloss over the significance of the experience and to kind of be prescriptive in the way that we talk about it and be like, you know what, here's your verse, Matthew 6, 25, take this home, memorize this, you'll be right as rain. Just kind of, we want you to get over this thing. And the reality that I'm aware of is anxiety is complex. It's, it's a, it, there's a lot of different factors that play into the experience that we have. It's, it's complex. It's, um, I think it's hard to diagnose. I think it's difficult to cure. And so I don't want to get up here and talk as if this is some easy task. And I hope that you recognize that I'm trying to be as tender as I possibly can as we go through this, aware of the, just the matrix of concerns that some of us have. And the reason why we have anxiety isn't this easy thing to kind of, oh yeah, I went to church and here was a sermon and that just solved everything. Now, I believe that this might begin a conversation, that, that it might bring something out into the light and you could start having you know, discussions with other people and maybe even counseling stuff, but but, but I hope that the way that this is presented doesn't come across as cold or distant or remote or, or unconcerned. Now, here's the other qualification I want to give you real quick before we actually jump into the text. In order for us to hear this well, I think it's very wise for us to consider the teacher. 
the one who is telling us this, because I'm, I'm looking at what he's saying this week, and I'm going, you know, I almost feel like, not that I would ever say this out loud, but like, I know better than Jesus. But you look at this and you go, you know, he could have said it in a different way. And so as we listen to it, I want you to think about him. He experienced pressure and stress at a level like none of us ever have. He was one who, um, he kind of went through life without a security blanket. He didn't have this, you know, savings account that he was drawing from as he did his public ministry. It seemed to me that he was just living hand to mouth and he was trusting that the provisions were going to come through the people that he was ministering to. He experienced relationship pressures as well. There was a story where, where Jesus was doing ministry and his mom and his brothers show up and they can't get to him and they begin to say, this is crazy. What you are doing is insane. And some of us have, have experienced that. That's maybe a cause of our anxiety because the people who should be in our corner cheering us on are saying, this is crazy town. What are you doing? And they can't get on board with it. He was somebody who experienced the threat of people threatening his life and ultimately taking his life. So he knew what it was like to cruise through life with all kinds of pressures and all kinds of concerns without even having a home. I remember when somebody came to him and said, hey, I'll follow you wherever. And he says, well, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. Are you sure? Are you sure you want to follow me? So Jesus knows what he's talking about when he speaks into this topic because he experienced it firsthand. And he's also the author of life who knows best. So let's look at the text then, and I want to point out three things that we find here in the text in front of us. The first is that anxiety is a heart issue. The second thing that we're going to see is that God is a trustworthy provider. And the third thing we'll see is that the kingdom is the cure. So the first thing is anxiety is a heart issue. If you're looking at verse 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. But what we have to do then is go, what is the therefore, therefore? Because when somebody says therefore, what they're about to suggest follows on the heels of what they've already said. And when we glance back up at what Jesus has been teaching, he's pointing to the heart. And he's saying there is a reality at play here. If you want to understand what's going on, you have to understand the heart. And so he gives us three different principles about the heart. The first one is the treasure principle. And here's how it works. The thing that your heart rests in and trusts in and worships uh, is your treasure. So if you find your treasure, you find your heart. If you find the thing that you care most deeply about, you're actually finding the thing that your heart longs for. The heart is the way of talking about the, the, the reality of a person, that the heart is the thing, it's kind of the command center for the soul. It's the thing that kind of, you know, we might make decisions with our mind, but really our hearts long for and draw us into certain things. And he's saying that the heart is really an important thing for us to understand, and the, the thing that we treasure reveals our heart. Let's look at verses 19 through 21. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying, here's the treasure principle. If you are locating your treasure in something that is transient, something you could lose, something that could go away or rot or rust or whatever, if that's where your treasure is, no wonder you're going to be anxious because you're going to be trying to protect this thing from any external threats. If it's, you know, physical beauty, let's say. Some people are like, you know, I just want to look attractive. But what happens when weird hairs start growing out of your ear? Or when, you know, crow's feet stuff starts happening and you go, or you go to the gym all the time and you try to eat in a certain way. But, but listen, if, if physical beauty is your treasure, it's easily threatened. 
And, and it's no way to live then because you'll be full of anxiety that, oh, I, I have to count my calories and I have to go to the gym and I have to do all these things that I personally hate, by the way. And you're saying, look, this is my, this is my treasure. This is the thing that rules my heart. Well, that's no way to live. What if it's, what if it's you know, security in your job? And you think, man, I love my job. I love my paycheck. I need this, this kind of uh, income so I can maintain this way of life, this standard of living. But what if your job reorganizes, you know, the, the organization restructures itself and your job is no longer relevant? Or, or what if you kind of lose your ability to perform at a high level? Or what if some up-and-comer in the organization eclipses you in their ability? All of that is threatening to you if that's your treasure. And we could plug in any number of different things, relationships. We could plug in, you know, material things. We could plug in all kinds of stuff that I think rules our hearts. And here's the thing that Jesus is saying. Be careful where you invest your treasure. Because if it's transient, if you could lose it, you're going to be full of anxiety. Here's the second principle he gives us, and it's the I principle. And basically it goes like this. What you look at, what you gaze upon, what you care about and stare at and just spend time reflecting on, that influences your interior. What you look at actually transforms you. Let's look at how it's put in verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So here's the principle. What you're looking at is transforming you on the inside. And if what you're looking at is actually dark, it's not the beauty or the light that God wants you to. If what you're looking at and staring at and worshiping, if that's darkness, it will influence your entire being. And so we become what we behold. We become like the things that we stare at. The, the um, Old Testament authors, they, they understood this. The prophets would say things like this. When people were making uh, images of their gods that they worshipped and believed in. They would make these kind of wooden things and things out of stone and things out of iron. They'd fashion them, and, and the prophets would say this. Those idols are deaf, dumb, and blind. And the people who worship them and make them become like them. We become like the thing that we set our eyes upon. That, like we say it all the time, the eyes are the window to the soul. That what we're looking at is influencing our interior. And so we need to be careful about the things that we're spending our time looking at and reflecting on. John Stott puts it like this, where you set your eyes and your heart affects your whole life. So the eye principle reminds us that we need to be careful about the things that we spend our time gazing upon. Here's the third principle that teaches us about our heart, and it's the principle of the master. And it goes like this, you cannot actually serve two different masters. One is going to take priority. Your allegiance will be found out. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And so what is he saying? It, it, it's really functionally impossible to be a believer and to be committed to some other master. It, it's, it, what, what, what this is teaching us is that our heart reveals who it is we're truly serving. The heart reveals the things that we actually care about and, and actually worship and serve. And you cannot serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. So here's, here's what we're learning then. Anxiety is a heart issue. The worry that we have points to our hearts. And, and the worry then reveals and helps us to identify what our hearts are really resting in. 
the concerns that we have kind of point to the treasures that we have, the things that we reflect on and look at most prominently, and also to the master of, of our lives. And so anxiety helps us then to identify what's really going on in the heart. And if anxiety is a heart issue, here's something that's very important for us to realize. A change in circumstances doesn't really deal with the issue. We could change things so that we don't have as much stress kind of pouring into our lives, but if we don't actually deal with the heart, we're not going to the root of the issue. So yes, a change could make things appear to be much, much better, but if we really want to understand how to deal with our, our anxiety, we have to get to the heart. We have to understand that the heart is at the central core of who we are, and that's the thing that we need to work on changing. So the first thing we see here in our text is that anxiety is a heart issue. The second thing that we learn here in our text is that God is a trustworthy provider. This is verses 25 to 32. Let's look at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? If if it's really a heart issue, do not worry about these different things. And what he's going to do is suggest that God is able to care for you. That it's a heart issue and we need to learn how to, to let our hearts rest in the God who cares and provides for us. And he gives an argument that goes something like this. If this is true, how much more true is this? And he gives two different examples. But he's saying, look, if this is the reality that we can see in the world, if this is true... How much more true is it that God will care for you? Look at how he illustrates this with two different things. First, with the birds. He says, guys, go outside. Uh, when, it, when it was nice out yesterday, I was in my garage, and I heard all the birds chirping. And just this carefree, they're singing. And I'm like, there's an ice storm coming. There's wind coming. You guys are deadbeats. You don't understand. But God cares for birds. Look at verses 26 and 27. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? He's saying, look, God cares for the birds. He takes care of them. Birds don't go around with this anxiety of, man, I wonder if the worms are going to be good this year. I wonder if I'm going to be able to find seed on the ground. I wonder if, you know, all these different things are going to come together. I better stow away some stuff in case that God doesn't come through. No, birds are carefree. And they cruise through life, and they have to do things like migrate and go to certain locations. They do work, but you watch them, and they don't have this anxiety. They don't have this stress or anxiousness about them. They, they just kind of operate on that level of worship where God is providing, and they just go through their life and naturally express worship to him because they're just day-to-day -day depending upon him for, for their provision. And he's saying, look, if God does that for the birds, aren't you more valuable than a bird? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is absolutely. If, if you're more valuable than a bird, if God cares for birds, certainly he can care for you. If God is able to provide on a daily basis the needs for the, for the animals, for the birds, can, can't he also and won't he also care for you? The answer is yeah. And, and by the way, what are you really accomplishing by worrying? I mean, what are you doing? Are you able to you know, change things? Is it really affecting the, the reality if you're worrying, if you're laying around worrying about stuff? Well, no, not really. As I was laying in bed in California, I wasn't changing anything. I was just creating more and more anxiety as I reflected on these different things. He's saying, who can add a single hour to your life by worrying? You just, it doesn't even accomplish anything, but God cares for birds. He can care for you. Here's the second illustration. He cares for the flowers and he can clothe them with, with beauty. Look at verses 28 through 30. 
Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Solomon was you know, one of the richest, most ornate kings in all of history, and he had this royal garment and all his splendor. He wasn't even dressed like one of these flowers. Verse 30, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? He's pointing to the flowers, and he's going, look at how beautiful they are. They, they blossom, they bloom, they do their thing. They're around for a short amount of time, but look at the beauty that God has given to them. They don't sit around thinking, man, I hope that I, uh, that I, hope I look beautiful. I hope I, I blossom and I become this amazing thing that people want to look at. And they're only here for a short amount of time. Um, my wife, Ash, she loves flowers and we'll go to the city market and she'll get a little bouquet. And it just kind of drives me crazy because I'm like, this is going to be dead in two days, right? You're going to put it in the little vase. We're going to water it. We're going to cut the stems. We're going to put the little, you know, feeder in there and all the stuff we're supposed to do. But at the end of the day, it's going to wither and fade and it's going to be this mess. And God's saying, look, this is what flowers do. They're only here for a short amount of time. And nonetheless, God clothes them with incredible beauty that he cares for the flowers. He makes them look so splendid that we, we, we want them on our kitchen table, even if they're only going to be there for a couple days. And so here's the point. God is caring for the flowers. If he's able to do that for flowers, then can't he also do that for you? Isn't he able then to care for you in a similar way? Isn't he able to give you everything that you would need? And so uh, we need to learn our lesson from the birds and from the flowers. We need to recognize that they're preachers to us. So we cruise out of here and we, you know, throughout the, the you know, springtime and different seasons, as we look at that, we should be thinking, God cares for his creation. He takes care of things that belong to him. He's able to provide in significant ways for all of his creation, and he loves me and he cares for me. And if he can do that for a flower, if he can do that for a bird, then certainly he can do that for me. God is able to care for us in that way. And what we find here, and I'm, I want to be careful about how I say this, it can almost sound um, insensitive, but it really points to this reality. Our worry is an expression of unbelief. It says, oh, you of little faith, at the end of verse 30. And then it goes on to say this. Look, look with me at verses 31 and 32. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear for the pagans, the unbelievers? That's a term for, for unbelief. For they run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So when we worry, what we're actually doing is we're expressing unbelief. And we might not have the actual courage to say that out loud and go, God, I don't trust you, but by our actions, that's what we're communicating. You might be in control of the world, you might be all-powerful, you might be good, and you might love me, but I'm actually concerned you're not going to come through. And it's an expression of functional unbelief. We're going through life, even as Christians, with this posture of unbelief. When we worry, we are, we're, we are revealing that we're living like pagans, like unbelievers. And again, that's a harsh way to put it, but I think we have to be honest that our, our worry and our concern and our anxiety, if we trace it back to the, to the source of our hearts, what we're doing is we're worshiping something other than God. And we're expressing unbelief in God. And we're saying, look, if this could really come true, if I could have my treasure, if I could, if I could, if I could have this thing and look at it, if I could have this thing that I serve, that it's my master, if I had it, then everything would be fine. And we're not saying if I had God, everything will, will be well. We're, we're, we're turning our worship to something that, that, doesn't, that can't and shouldn't carry the freight of our worship. 
So worry is actually unbelief, okay? So here's what we've learned so far. We've learned um, that worry is an issue of the heart and that God is a very capable provider. So here's what we need to do. Here's the third thing this morning. The third thing we see in our text is that the kingdom is the cure. The kingdom is the cure. When we seek the kingdom, it helps us to minimize our anxiety and it helps us to rightly worship and treasure what we were made to to worship and treasure. So look with me at verse 33. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things that we've been discussing, food, clothing, shelter, the things that we feel we need, all these things will be given to you as well. Here's what it's telling us to do. Here's what Jesus is saying. We need to pursue the kingdom. If we want to deal with our anxiety, the way that we can address our heart is to pursue the kingdom. And some of the ways that we do that is by setting our attention on the good things, on the things of the kingdom, like verses 22 and 23 told us. When we look at the right things, it changes us on the inside. We become filled with light. So we should set our attention on the things of God. And we should be reflecting on and, and acknowledging God's presence in all the things that we're doing, that his kingdom has come, that he is near to us, that he's real to us. I was talking yesterday morning with a couple of guys from our church, and we, we were reflecting on this. Everything that we're doing, God is with us. And one of the things we need to get better at is acknowledging his presence and re- contemplating God is here. So when you cruise out of here this afternoon and you're having a meal with you know, your family or with friends or by yourself, when you're having a meal, God is there. And one of the things that we could do is seek first his kingdom by acknowledging his presence in all the activities that we're engaged in. We could, we could sit down and we could reflect on the fact that God is real and he's present and his kingdom is a, is a real reality that we're pursuing and we can be seeking that kingdom in everything. So, you know, as I think back on that example I gave you at the very beginning of laying in the bed at, in, in California about to film this stuff, um, it's, it's easy to revise a story and not do it. <laughs> this didn't really happen, so let me just tell you how it should have happened. So this sounds good, but I think it's true. I think if I were... If I were laying there again right now, one of the things that I could do as I'm seeking the kingdom of God is to not just be praying in this way, God, please give me sleep. What am I saying? That's my master. My master and my treasure is sleep. My, the thing that I'm, care, that I'm caring so deeply about is I want to perform at a high level. I want to bless the church. I'll, I'll, the reality is that the anxiety is revealing the stuff that I'm caring about deeply. What if I were to redo it and I were to seek the kingdom in these things? What if I bowed to the reality that God knows better than I do? What if I'm laying there and instead of um, just being anxious and concerned and, and pouring out my prayers in a way that says, please do this, you need to do this. Instead, I just said, God, you're going to give me everything that I need. You're going to give me the strength that's required for this task. Your spirit in me is going to equip me to do whatever it is that I'm called to do tomorrow, even on zero sleep. What if I was seeking the kingdom in that way, bowing to God's goodness and his plan for me, regardless of what shakes out? What if I seek the kingdom in that way? I think that would have the power to change my life. And that's what I'm suggesting that we learn how to do, that when we're anxious, we begin to pursue God. And we say, God, I want your kingdom. I want to seek you. I want to be aware that you're present here. You're with me. You're going to care for me. You're going to give me everything that I need. So we should contemplate on the things of God. Another way that we can seek the kingdom is through the spiritual disciplines. You know, doing things like this, like saying, okay, if there's a kingdom, I want to know what that kingdom's all about. 
I want the king to be speaking to me. So I'm going to open up the word with some kind of regularity, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to listen to what God has to say, and I'm going to respond in prayer. I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to pray. I think that that's a way that we could seek first the kingdom. What if we allowed God to set the agenda for every single day? What if we spent time with God every single day and we said, hey, I'm going to give you 15, 20 minutes, God, so that you can speak directly to me, and then that's going to influence everything else that I do. Uh, in in our, my small group, and by the way, a lot of people are like, I'd love to be in your small group. Probably not, because I pimp out your stories every week. Um, but in our small group this week, we were meeting, and everyone's like, hey, why don't we try doing some devotions? And we came up with a game plan that everyone was on board with, and everyone you know, said, here's what we'll do. And, and we're just, as a group, we're saying, look, we're going to seek the kingdom in this way. We're going to, throughout the course of the week, we're going to read a little bit, and then we're going to come back together, and when we meet next time, I'm going to ask you how that went, and we're going to talk about it. But what if all of us were doing that? What if we said, look, we're all going to devote some time to figuring out what God wants to do today. We're going to literally open the word and pray and read, and then we're going to pray in response. What if we seek the kingdom in that way? What if we were seeking the kingdom in all the details of our lives? What if, you, what if the, the priority for every day wasn't how you could pursue this other treasure, this other thing that you care deeply about, but what if every day you were saying, my greatest treasure, my greatest joy would be to bring God pleasure? What if I just want him? And then no matter what's going on, I have an immovable treasure. I have something that I could never lose. I have a relationship with the living God, and I then do not have to be anxious. I can be full of gospel peace. That's a wild way to live, but that's what Jesus is saying. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, here's another point here that I really wanna, I want you to see. I think one of the most transforming things is for us to pursue not just the kingdom, but the king. Every kingdom has a king, and the kingdom that we're talking about here is the kingdom of Christ. And I think what we can do is pursue Jesus through all of these different ways. But Jesus is the king, and here's why this is so compelling and attractive and beautiful for me. Jesus is the king who had everything, right? It was all his. He's, he, he's heir of the entire world. And what did he do? As our king, he gave up his privileges. He gave up what was his. He, he gave up his inheritance so that we could become co-heirs with him. He was willing to, to give up all the privileges of heaven. He was the king who had this incredibly privileged status, the, the son of God at the right hand of the father. And what did he do? He humbled himself and he became a servant of humanity. And he allowed for himself to be born into this backwoods town in the middle of nowhere into a family as a carpenter's son. And so nobody really knew who he was, and he didn't have these accolades or, or the status that he could lean into, but he gave that up in order that we could become children of God and have an incredible status before the Father. He gave up his own life. He was willing to go to a cross to die for us so that we could have life eternal. We're, we're pursuing the king who loved us to the point of laying down his life to have us. That's a beautiful reality. When we say, I'm not going to allow anxiety to rule my heart because I'm going to pursue that king. It'll change us. It'll change us. And I think that that's what we're after. We want to be people who are changed by the power of the gospel, who go through life and experience the, the ordinary pressures and difficulties and, and the pain and the frustrations and, 
and, and, you know, go through all of this stuff, but we turn our worry into worship because we keep pursuing the King who loves us so well. Now, one more point before we wrap up, and I invite the band to come back up, but here's the last point. When we are trying to do this, I'm not suggesting that it's all of a sudden going to become easy peasy. The Bible doesn't give us this, you know what, if you seek first the kingdom, all your troubles will go away. In fact, they'll be in the rearview mirror and it'll just get easier and easier for you. No, how does this little section end? Look with me at verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And what is this saying? It's going to be hard. Tomorrow's going to have its own concerns. Here's what we can do today. Acknowledge our hearts. Believe that God is a good and trustworthy provider. And we can worship and seek the King. And as we do that, I think it will change us. And we will become less and less anxious people. Band, would you come? I'm going to pray. And uh, we're going to worship once more. Lord, in here right now, we, I'm aware that there are things that are going on, concerns that we have. I'm aware that this is not something that is just easily dealt with, but I'm grateful, God, that you speak to us and you give us, um, you give us your word so that we could pursue you. And so I pray that what we've talked about this morning would be helpful for each of us, Lord, that we would just be able to bear our hearts and be real. And Lord, would you transform us, help us to be gospel people who have gospel peace. No matter what's going on, no matter how hard it is, no matter how challenging things might be, help us to trust you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.